0: John chapter 8, this morning as we come to God's Word, we're going to look at this passage where Jesus claims to be the, the light of the world, and we're going to consider that this morning. But as we come to God's Word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are faithful to speak to us. We confess that we are indeed in the dark apart from the light that you shine, apart from the truth that you give And so I pray this morning we come and we'd hear and we would listen to you and that it would take root in our lives. And our prayer is that you would work against any resistance that's there in our fallenness and the flesh and our tiredness and our humanity, that you'd work against those things to bring about what we need to hear in our lives so that we would follow you and know you, that the world would know that you are indeed the. Source of light and truth, and so guide our time this morning as we look at your word in Jesus' name, Amen. So, uh, John chapter eight. I'm going to read though three verses in verse and chapter seven thirty-seven through thirty-nine to set up because we have some context. I'm going to read verses twelve through twenty. Seven thirty-seven. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, if you knew me you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And together we say, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Passage we're going to look at this morning, this I am statement of Jesus is is one of the seven different I am statements we'll find in the book of, of john they're woven through the fabric of his gospel and they're rich statements to contemplate to to think about who jesus is they're they're metaphors that give us a picture of who he is they're at the same time claims the deity in the construction of the statement the i am he claims to be god but more than that he claims to be god who saves And each of the images of the I am's give us a a picture of the way that God saves. It's a metaphor of of what God is doing when he saves. I remember when I was taking my ordination exams, the oral exams, I was asked to give all seven of these I am statements and I got through six of them and I forgot one of them and I will never forget that one again, right? That's how that goes. But I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I think I hit all seven of them there that Jesus gives us in the book of John. What's interesting is you look at the other gospels and you'll find parables of the kingdom of God. John doesn't give us parables, but he gives us these I am statements that tell us about the king who He is, and what He's come to do, what He's up to. And so these metaphors tell us about Jesus. And, and the metaphors are, are from life. They tell us about life. They're woven throughout Scripture to help us understand who Jesus is. We can get caught up in the metaphor sometimes and we, to miss the point. And so I don't want us to do that. Light can be used and has been used as symbols of lots of things, knowledge and learning, and those are good things. But Jesus isn't just telling us something he's going to do as much as he's telling us about who he is, his identity, when he says, I am the light of the world. So the question we want to ask this morning is, what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, especially in this particular context, when he identifies himself as the light of the world? And with any, with any communication, context is important to understand what's actually being meant here. A number of years ago, my wife received a letter from a friend of hers, and she was reading the letter out loud, and she read these words. She says, we are combining beans and corn this season. And I remember looking at her, it says, we're combining beans and corn? And then we stepped back and went, oh, guess who was writing this? These were farmers. They're not combining beans and corn. They're combining beans and corn. And we went, oh, context was important to understand the meaning of the words combining. And what they were doing was harvesting. And so in this context, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's important. What's the backdrop? What's happening here? And he is speaking in the context of what's called the Feast of the Tabernacles, now, if you have a decent memory, memory, you'll know that Bill preached on this a couple of years ago. And there'll be some of these things that will sound familiar, at least I hope so, in this passage. But we see that in the context of the Feast of the Tabernacles, it was one of those celebrations that was mandated. It was around the time of the harvest. And, the, and Israel was, was mandated, it was called to celebrate. And, and these sections that i read we understand them with that as a a backdrop it celebrated the in gathering of the grain harvest it was that time of the year but it commemorated something else it commemorated the event when god rescued israel from egypt and he led them through the wilderness for the 40 years to his promised land It looked back, it reflected on God's provision for those 40 years in the wilderness to bring them safely home to the promised land in the context of the harvest that was taking place. God is the one who protects and God is the one who provides. It was a week-long or an eight-day celebration. And in it, there's two key images. And you can already guess what those images were that were a part of the celebration. One was water, the other one is light. Water was a key image of course. We see that God not only rescued them through the Red Sea, but he also provided water for them to drink in the wilderness, in the desert in a miraculous kind of way. And Jesus in verse in chapter 7 he says On the last day of this feast, this great day, he stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he pulls on that theme. And the part of that theme was this, this processional that the high priest would lead where he would take this container and he'd fill it with water in the pool of Siloam and he would lead this procession up to and into the temple courts and he would pour this water over the altar. And it would happen seven times on that day as a picture of God's provision of water. For them. But also this picture of light is a part of this ceremony. It recognizes that God protected and guided Israel with this pillar of fire. If you know your history, if you don't, you can read it. I read part of it already in Exodus chapter 14. That God led Israel by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And if you caught the section that I read from Exodus chapter 14... You heard that god didn 't just lead them, but but he protected them. He actually placed this fire himself between the Egyptians and Israel. He protected them that he led them and guided them in this way and so, in this celebration, there was a lighting ritual, these four torches in the temple courts and of course, this this light would permeate the city and they could be seen and the celebrations were, were, were consisted of people dancing and, and with, with torches. I don't know how smart that is to dance with torches, but they had them and they would celebrate God's protection and his provision of light. It was a, an image of God showing up in their lives, in their need, in the celebration. And so in this context, we understand as Jesus offers this living water and he says, I am the light of the world. This is the backdrop of which we interpret what he says. To understand what he says, I am the light of the world See, the people understood what he was saying, especially the Jewish leaders, as he makes this claim. Because he's identifying with these symbols of this ritual, right? He's identifying both with the water as well as with the light. But more than just identification, he's saying, I am the fulfillment of all that these symbols signified. I am the water that it points towards. I am the light That the pillar pointed towards, he says, I am the fulfillment of those images of those symbols, the ultimate salvation, because those celebrations looked back on what God had done. But it also anticipated what God would do as he would fulfill, complete those images of light and water by sending the one who would do that. And so as we think about this context, we want to grasp what Jesus is saying when He says, I'm the light of the world. I really have three things I want to do this morning. First of all, is ask the question, what does it mean that He's the light of the world? What's the implications for us? What's the relevance to us? And then thirdly, how can we know that He is the light of the world? For for those of us who are skeptical, or, or I might say the skeptic in all of us, How can we know that he is the light of the world? For all of us at different points in our lives, we struggle and we ask the question, is he really the light? Is he the only light? Is he the only way? How do we know that? Because he tells us and gives us this leading. So first of all, what does it mean when Jesus says he is the light of the world? In 12... He spoke to them. He said, I, I am the light of the world. This I am statement here, it's purposeful and it's a clear identification with Yahweh. In fact, this construction, I am, is used four times in chapter eight. You can read through it. it I am, I am, it's a, each time a claim to deity, but it escalates to the very end of the chapter where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. And, and the leaders know exactly what he's saying. They see the, the identity, the identification with Yahweh and such that they pick up stones to, to stone him with. And Jesus escapes. And, and so he says, I am, that's as a claim to deity, but I am this light. And light is, is a significant theme throughout all of Scripture. Obviously, we don't have time to unpack it all today, but let me just say this. It opens and ends with the image of light. It, the very beginning of the Scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 God says, let there be light. Certainly He's creating, but the beauty is He's stepping into darkness. And He's stepping into chaos. And He just says, let there be light. And there was. He's bringing order to that place. And you can cycle through the whole of Scripture. You see the theme is there, but through the, the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, we see that There John gives us this picture of ultimately the new heavens and the new earth and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. That we have this picture looking down the road into eternity that God will be, is the light ultimately. We won't need any other mediated processes. God will be the light And so light is this key theme throughout the Scriptures and especially in the book of John. He opens up with this light who has come, who is the Word made flesh. And the darkness does not overcome it. And we see He identifies here as the light of the world. And we move on to chapter 9. And if you read through that narrative in chapter 9, you find that in that situation, Jesus, before He heals this man born blind, says... While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Essentially, what he's saying is, let me give you a picture of what the light of the world does when it shows up. This is a concrete example of what the light of the world does in action. And what does he go on to do? He goes on to heal that man. A physical sight, but by the end of the narrative, This man sees clearly who Jesus is such that he's trying to even convince the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the day of who Jesus is. And so this man is healed twice. He's healed physically, but ultimately he's healed spiritually. See, that's what the light of the world does when he shows up. He steps into our situation and he brings sight. But the sad part of that story is that the leaders who think who can see physically cannot see spiritually. But they don't know it. They're not aware of their own blindness. So one of the things as we think about this light, we see that it's, it's, it's God in action. That he steps into our situation and he acts. That when we see light as a symbol in scripture, it's a picture of Yahweh, of God acting. And when Jesus says, I am the light is a picture of God showing up a picture of God doing what God does. Redeeming. Saving. Acting on our behalf. It is Yahweh in action. It's a picture of what Jesus says. And He says, I am the light of the world. It's a claim to deity. But He's saying, this is a picture of God. I am God. The very saving God in action to rescue and to protect and to lead my own home. And so Jesus is the light of, of the world. But not just He's, he says that He's the light of the world, not just to Israel, but to the world. And again, this is an important theme in John. And throughout the Scriptures, we see that, that the interest that, that when God acts, when He saves, it's through to one, so that many would hear. That even in Isaiah, that section called the servant songs, the song, servant of Yahweh, where we see this picture when, when the servant comes, what he's going to do. One of the things that we're told is that His interest is not just in Israel, but it's for the world. In Isaiah 49.6, we're told that it's too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. We see the scope of God's saving plan is the nations. It's all, not just the nation of Israel, but that all would hear. And then John, we see that it's that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that his interest and the scope is that all nations would hear. At the end of John chapter 4, after Jesus interacts with that woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the whole town comes to Jesus, the Samaritans, and, and, and on their lips they say this We know that you, this one, is the Savior of the world. And so Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one who brings salvation to all nations, to the entire world. In this immediate context of this passage, some have suggested that the the statement of Jesus is after the torches have gone out. The torches have been extinguished. And he says, those lights are lit for just a week out of the year and only in this place. But I am the eternal light that will be eternally available to all, to the world around. Not just for here, not just for now, but for all and for eternity. What does it mean when Jesus says, I am the light of the world? What do we understand about his identity? That he is God's provision for our need. That he is God's salvation, the very action of Yahweh that's available to all. But what's the implications of this? The second half of this verse, of verse 12, tells us something. He goes on to say, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, there's an implication in this. There's a statement of his identity, but more than just a statement of identity, it's an invitation. Just like in the passage about the the water, he says, come and drink if you're thirsty. So there's an uh, an invitation here. If you're in the dark, there's one place to come. I am the light. Come to me. If you're lost, if you're dark, if you're confused, if all the lights in your life seem to have been extinguished, I am the light of the world. And he goes on to say, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. This is this this recognition of our predicament, our situation is that we're in darkness apart from him. Jesus goes on in chapter 12. He says, the one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Isn't that just a classic statement? Of course, if you walk in darkness, you don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. You don't know up. You don't know down. You don't know right. You don't know left. If you walk in darkness, of course you don't know where you're going. But the problem is, many don't realize that's true of them. That that's characteristic of our lives. And so, John nine at the very end of that narrative with the the man who was born blind, with the Pharisees, they asked the question, "Are we blind also?" And Jesus said, yeah, because you think you can see, it only reveals that you can't. So your own awareness of the darkness in which you find yourself is a recognition and acknowledgement. And it causes you to find and seek after the light. As we consider the imagery, even back to the Israelites in the wilderness, right after they were rescued from Egypt, they still had no idea where they were going. Right? Great, we're free, but where are we going, right? what's What's our destination and what's our path? We don't know. And God says, I have something for you to follow. I have a light that will guide you through the wilderness to get you home. But their recognition and their own understanding that left to themselves, they were shooting in the dark, they were wandering in the dark was important. And for the one who realizes that the best of our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our own intuition, our own impulses, the best that the world offers, we are shooting in the dark. But in worse, we're being led over a cliff. To that one who recognizes that's the reality of our lives, Jesus says, I am the light and the only place that you can come to find light. It says, whoever follows me will not... Walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This invitation to life, the light that produces life. Life, this word to John is a very important word. It's the word Zoe. It's used almost 135 times in his gospel, and it's always in reference to the life that is only in relationship to God. It is the light that leads to life that's in relationship to God. As you understand that you're in the darkness you realize that real life is found in the light who is Christ what real light is the light protects and it guides without which we would be hopeless I don't know about you but you there's been those seasons where you've come to that conclusion where you realize that left to yourself you're just shooting in the dark we're wandering in a minefield what is right and what is wrong What kind of direction in life should I have? Who who am I? What am I about? What should I live for? As, As we come to grips with that existential darkness in our own lives, that wandering, it leads us ultimately to the one light, the one source, the one referent, the one fixed point that we can tie into and follow and following. God in his grace and his mercy enables us to experience those seasons so we can feel our need for the light in our call to worship this morning there was a phrase that that caught me one of the reasons I wanted to choose it in psalm 36 9 the psalmist says in your light do we see light it's it's redundant But it's emphatic and it means that there's only one light. In your light do we see light. That means there's no other lights. There's no other points of reference in our lives apart from you. A movie that I enjoy is called Apollo 13. You might have seen it about the story of the, you know, the spaceship. There's kind of an accident and they're trying to make their way home. But there's a scene that I often think about. And if you've seen it or if you haven't, the storyline is they're trying to make their way back home. Without a guidance system And they realize that they're off course And they're going to miss earth And so they have to readjust their course Without guidance system And in the storyline They realize they just need one fixed point In space And so they use earth as that fixed point To enable them To make it home And Jesus, if I can use that analogy Essentially says this There is one fixed point in space And it's me it's who i am i am that one reference that you can guide your life by that you can set your trajectory by left to yourself or the world around you and its own impulses and thoughts up and down right and left become purely arbitrary but with me you have a reference point that's what he that's what he means when he says i am the light of the world but it it's dependent right we have to respond we need to recognize that that's true of us to follow him means that we have to submit our ways to him we need to acknowledge that anything else that appears to be fixed appears to be a fixed point is not and to trust that he is able and he is sufficient so we see that he is yahweh in action and that we find ourselves in the dark with one fixed point and the call is to follow the light of the world final question how can we know how how can we know that he is indeed the light of the world jesus makes this astounding claim to be the light he he says i'm the fulfillment of all that these torches refer to i am that light who is promised to come that will never go out the people get it They, they, they get it especially the leaders get it in fact the rest of this narrative in chapter 8 this interaction is about the authority of him to say such things he says i am the light of the world remember see those torches i am that which those point towards and they say how can you say such things verse 13 and 14 so the pharisees said to him you are bearing witness about yourself your testimony is not true Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. See what he says? My testimony is true. They ask, what's your, what's your source of authority? Now it's interesting. This is not a new argument. If you, Cycle back to John chapter 5, you'll find there was an argument there about his source of authority. And he cites the father as a witness, himself as a witness. He says, I've got two witnesses that qualifies. It's in accordance with the law that fulfills to validate and verify my claims. But this initially, and he's going to go on to call his father as a witness. But initially he says, he just says, my claims are true. My, My testimony stands on its own. Even if I do bear witness about myself, he says, it's true. You don't know where I'm going or where I'm coming from, but I do. And here's the point. In this setting, when he says, I am the light of the world, light attests to itself. Light bears witness to itself. As D.A. Carson, commentator of note, he says, light cannot but attest to its own presence. We ask the question, how can we know that he is the light of the world? He says, because my testimony is true. Now we can look at the rest of his life and we see incredible things he did that pointed towards his identity and the things that he said, of which people said, who says things like this? But Jesus says, if you want to know who I really am, you have to get to know me. You have to experience who i am i am the light of the world and you will come to know me in that way because what i say is true and so one of the questions we ask that i ask is is how do you test a light bulb how do you test a light bulb how do you know if something is a light how do you know if it's really true if it says it's a light simple right it dispels darkness If if it's a light, it dispels darkness. It illuminates so that you can see. And if you can't see, if it doesn't dispel darkness, then it's false. And Jesus just simply says, what I say is true. And you will know who I am as you experience the light that I bring and that I provide. Later in this chapter, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free Essentially, he's saying that the truth is verified by the freedom that it produces. So here Jesus says, my testimony is true. And you will know that it's true as you experience me as the light of the world. And so as you find yourself to be in the dark, you'll know the light when you find it. Think about the Israelites. Keep cycling back to them. Wandering around in the desert, do you think anybody asked them as they're following this pillar of fire? Hey, are you sure about this pillar of fire? Are you, are you sure about it? I mean, how do you really know that it's leading you in the right direction? It's supposed to be that which you follow. Shouldn't you be a little more cautious about following random pillars of fire in the wilderness? What do you think they would have said? It's a pillar of fire! Right? It's a pillar of fire. it attests to itself. It doesn't need to validate itself. Its essence and its existence show it to be for what it is. It shows the way we can see as a result of it. And so Jesus says, I am the light. I am self-attesting. You will know the light as you experience me. He wants us to know, he wanted them to know that his identity as the light of the world will be experienced by the one who follows him. He will show himself to be that which he claims, the light. He will dispel darkness. He will lead the way home. He will be that fixed point in space that we can set our lives and our trajectories upon. I don't know if this sounds counterintuitive to you, but there's something beautiful about this when Jesus says, just taste and see and know that I'm good. Know that what I offer you will be the light of life that's there. That Jesus essentially, as the lie of the world, says, I will prove myself to you, I will show myself to you. Doesn't mean he'll jump through all of our hoops, doesn't mean he'll answer all of our questions. Doesn't mean he'll do exactly what we want, but he says, I will do what's necessary to demonstrate to you that I am the light as you come. I listened to a podcast recently um, called Quick to Listen. It's a Christianity Day podcast. Podcast was based upon, they were talking about kind of the, the millennials today and, and their response to evangelism. But there was a man that they were interviewing who works with a group called the Alpha Course. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's an evangelism kind of course that's available. It started in England. It's an Anglican in its origins, but it is now is in, in hundreds of thousands of churches and is used. But one of the things I was listening to this individual talk about some of their methods and their, and what they do in terms of inviting people into a conversation about the truth of the gospel. One of the things that he said caught me. It just kinda it's one of those things you, you listen to and you go, it was so simple and yet so profound that it just it caught me. And he said, you know, there's 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 content that they give and there's dialogue that they have around the truth of the gospel and where people are in their lives. But then he says, We do this. One of their methods, he says, We invite people to pray whether they believe in God or not, we invite them to pray to God and invite him to reveal himself to them. And he went on to talk about the stories of people who who said, I don't know if you're there, but would you show yourself to me? And guess what happens? He shows himself to be the light not exactly maybe the way they want, and not in the way that we would choose. But he says, I, I am that. You see, here's the beauty, right? God is his best apologist. He is the one who can convince those who wonder and doubt and have questions and are seeking of himself because we know he's at work in their lives, even as they ask. And I love that picture because he says, I will prove myself to you. The light is self-validating as we ask and we seek. See, there are seasons in all of our lives where we are skeptics, right? It seeps into our lives where we wonder and we ask the question, is Jesus really the light of the world? Does he really know how to lead me? Does he really know how to guide me? Is he really that fixed point in space? Is he really the one I could follow? You see, in our lives, there is light, but there's also shadows. We ask questions. And yet as we hold to and look back to the faithfulnesses we've experienced, and we see the little light that he gives, maybe not to answer all of our questions, to see a hundred miles down the road, but to see the very next step, he says, yes, I'm faithful to lead you and to guide you, to dispel the darkness that's in front of you, to show you what right and wrong look like. To identify who you are and and to have this understanding that there is a light that will come. That will dispel all the shadows. That there is a day where that light will be in the very presence, the full brightness of the unmitigated presence of God. And that's the ultimate end that Jesus says, I will lead you there to that place. That we live in this place now of shadows, but there will be a day when they will be dispelled. So we have this light that he says, I will prove it to you. I will demonstrate to you who I am. Let me finish with one final quote in point. Final thought as we think about Jesus being the light of the world. C.S. Lewis had a notion with life of light that he he saw light as something not so much you which you by, that you see as much as something by which you see. Okay, you get that? It's not just as much as you see light, but it's by light that you see other things. And of course, this quote, as we think about Jesus being the light of the world, it helps us understand also what it means as it relates to the rest of our lives and the world around us. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity like I believe that the sun has risen. Not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Not because I see it as much as I see everything else. And the beauty of that statement of our understanding is how can we know that he is the light of the world? It's because we see, as we see him, he makes sense of everything else. He helps make sense of the world around us. He helps make sense of the world within us. As we look at him, we see the light. And we understand that he has dispelled our darkness. And the promise is there will be a day. There will be no more shadows. We will stand in the very presence of God. God in action will have saved us and led us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful this morning that you have saved us. That you have demonstrated this in your son. And as Jesus says these words, I pray for each one of us, no matter where we find ourselves, that we would receive these words that you have proved yourself in the past and you will continue to prove yourself to be light to us, the only God, the God who stepped into our lives. And for those of us who perhaps have not entrusted our lives to you, who continue to sort out our own path, would you change and direct our course and remind us that apart from you, there is no other way. There's no other Light and so help us to walk with you. Help us to walk in these days as your people in this place. And the beauty is that you promised as we walk in your light that we will be light to those around us. And that's my prayer and our prayer as a church is that we would be light to the world around us, pointing the way. We don't have to answer all the questions, we just have to point and say there's one direction. And to pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would enable us to do that in our words and our actions and the way that we live, that it would it would emanate the truth of who you are. And so that's our prayer today. Many needs in our church and our congregation. I just pray that you would strengthen us as your people to walk with you. We're so grateful that you've loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand for the benediction.